Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Monday Musings with RC, where I tell you what's been on my mind. So this last week, or these last few weeks, there's been so much going on in the world, as we all know. And I thought it was time for us to kind of bridge the gap between a couple of different um, groups of people who are considered marginalized groups and who are all out here fighting for equity and for justice. So today I have a special guest. His name is Nestor Gomez. Welcome, Nestor. Thank you for joining us today. Hello. And um, for those of you who are just tuning in for the first time, I am a writer and a storyteller um, and a performer. So what I write is one woman shows that talk about the intersection of race and gender and sexuality. Um, and on that circuit of storytelling and um, solo show writing, I actually met Nestor several years ago. Now, I'm not sure, Nestor, because I know I went to see one of our mutual friends tell a story at one of the Moth Grand Slams. And I'm not sure if I met you at that one back in like 2016 or if it was on some other scene, but I know it was through storytelling. So. Right, right, right. So um, just introduce yourself and tell people kind of your storytelling background, how you came into storytelling, and then we'll get into why we're here today. Okay, uh, so um, uh, first of all, hi to everybody. Uh, I had to make a disclaimer. I am not a lawyer. I am not a, a, a professor of immigration. I am, however, an immigrant myself because I came to this country undocumented in the mid-80s when I was about 15 years old. So you could do the math and you could see that I'm very old. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and um, when I came to this country, I used to stutter. I didn't know the language and I wasn't documented. So I didn't have a voice for many, many years. Uh, it wasn't until about six years ago now that I started doing storytelling um, because I always wrote everything that I, that I taught, all my thoughts and my feelings. I always put them on writing because I couldn't talk. Um, so after, after seeing a couple of performers, um, I saw Louis Steuben do poetry way back in the day. And I was like, oh, damn, that's really good. And I wanted to do poetry. But, so I went to the, uh, to the Green Mill to do po poetry. But I chickened out and I saw a flyer for the mod at the Green Mill. And I went to see the mod for the first time. I remember it was a Grand Slam and mm -hmm. I saw Archie. RCJ Jamjum, who's a freaking amazing storyteller. And that was the first time that I saw storytelling and that I thought about like, oh, I could probably do that. But then I started to like, uh, you know, have second thoughts, like uh, my, my, uh, my people are not gonna stand, understand my English. I used to stutter a little bit. Uh, people are not gonna uh, relate to my stories. Uh, maybe I shouldn't do this. And then I heard Lily B on the radio, on the mod radio, where I'm like, she was talking about Humboldt Park and her abuela and mangoes. I'm like, oh, damn, <laughs> I should be doing this too. Um, so I went to a mod slam. I put my name in the hat to tell a story. And my idea was to just tell a story to get over my fear of public speaking. That was my goal. Oh, really? That's what I wanted to do. And I told my first story and I won the night. And yeah. then when you win, they tell you, you got to come back and do a, a, a grand slam, which is like, oh, the winners of 10 slams are going to participate. I was like, oh, damn. Because uh, I didn't know what I was doing, and I started doing a lot of storytelling, just hitting every single storytelling event that I could yeah. find. And I've been doing storytelling, storytelling ever since. Um, I have won a few mod slams, 
but I, yeah, but the important thing is that I have my own show. Uh, it's a show about immigration um, because I came about uh, telling my stories and finding my voice, not only through storytelling, but also by becoming a citizen two years ago. Uh, after more than 30 years of the making, I finally became a, a USA citizen. And I finally have a voice because I'm going to be able to vote on the next presidential election. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so finding my voice was very important to me, not only as a storyteller, but also as a registered voter and somebody able to vote. So I wanted to provide a platform for other storytellers, immigrants, to tell the stories. So okay. now we have a show which is called 80 Minutes Around the World which is also a podcast, and we tell stories of the immigration experience. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, Nestor. For those of you who don't know, Nestor spoke a lot about the moth, and that is actually a storytelling hour that's on NPR, so locally, that's WBEZ. And so, truthfully, if you turn on the radio any day during the week, or especially on Saturday, you can hear Nestor, <laughs> him or anyone on his show, 80 Minutes Around the World, Immigration Stories. So definitely check out 91.5. Um, when you're sitting in your car cruising, WBEZ does wonderful, wonderful stories about the everyday human experience. They have great shows. So thank you for that introduction. So it's interesting how you say you came to storytelling to just kind of work on public speaking and in so doing found your voice. And I think that that's pretty much the thread that runs through um, for all of us storytellers that we were seeking to find our voice. And, and it's interesting because you were trying to find your voice and like as a a person who's living in this country who, as you say, you are undocumented. And there are people who've lived here their whole lives, born here, still trying to find their voice as a black person, as a, a queer person, or any other person as of a marginalized group, since we're, that's what we're talking about today. And that's so important for us to have a voice and then to be able to feel confident enough to speak out, but then to continue to have a platform. So that's one of the reasons that I invited you on the show today is because you found your voice and then said, it's not just about me, but I'm gonna create a platform for other people. And one of the big, biggest misconceptions I think is that every immigration story is the same. And I, what I love about your show is that um, at every show, you're going to learn something. And I think the biggest thing that people take away from the show is that everybody is so unique. Everybody's story is different. So you can't walk in to a room thinking you're going to hear um, someone's story and that that fits everybody else. Um, immigration has been like a longstanding concern of the U.S. government, I know, for a long time. But it's also a concern for the people who live in this country, who have spent the majority of their lives um, contributing to the economic uh, stability or instability of this economy and who are raising their children, starting new families here. And there are so many policies that are put into place that kind of have people walking on eggshells day to day. So one of the things in this show I really want to do is kind of give a little bit of background on a few things and then have this conversation about um, how us as being part of marginalized groups can kind of work together. Because in my circle, um, I would say that most people in my circle probably don't feel that immigration is something they need to be concerned about. But they most definitely feel that they need to be um, shouting in the streets, justifiably so, about the killing of unarmed Black people. 
So I don't see how you can march and rally and, and try to understand the plight of one marginalized group and not the other. So just to start off, um, one word that's been um, flying around in the headlines lately is DACA. And just the deferred action uh, for childhood arrivals is like what DACA stands for. But um, I think you had some very harsh words on Facebook, as you always do, especially about the one that sits in the White House. Um, um, <laughs> and in, in regards to him attempting to rescind um, DACA. So tell me about um, your understanding of what DACA is and how that impacts um, immigrants today. Okay, let me put it this way. When I went to high school, I was undocumented. Um, there, was a, there were many things that I couldn't do. For example, I couldn't go to Washington, D.C. on a field trip because I didn't have documents to travel out of state. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, I, didn't, I, could, I took driver's ed, but I could only take the writing portion of the test. I couldn't get behind the vehicle. Because my teacher was like, well, really, you don't have a social security number. So what's the point? You, you, oh, you, you're wow. not going to get a license anyway. And, and we need a social security number. There were many things like I couldn't go to college because back then there were not any uh, scholarships. And in fact, I was a nerd as a, as a, as a, as a freshman, as a junior, um, as a freshman, as a sophomore, as a junior. And then when I found out as a senior that I couldn't get into college, I was like, Forget you did. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. like, wow, loud. I'm like, who's the, what's the point to get right. crazy? I'm not going to go to college. So I started to, uh, to get a little bit crazy. I still went to school and I didn't get into any, anything super crazy, but I did start to cut classes a little bit, you know, here and there. Because yeah, right, right. my, my, my idea of getting into college was, wasn't there anymore. Yeah. Um, so because back, yeah, back, then, back then, there was no, no DACA, there was nothing. There was basically... Just hope you don't get caught by immigration, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and DACA started because of a DREAM Act, which was uh, trying to get immigrant children, like in my case, I was an immigrant children because I was 15 years old when my parents brought me to the United States. Mm-hmm. I had no saying on the matter, just by I needed to be reunited with my parents who were already here. Uh, and that's, that's what the DREAM Act was. I was, uh, uh, wanted to get all those minors that were brought into the country undocumented right. and get them a path to citizenship. Not even citizenship, just a path to citizenship, which will mean that you had to apply for it. You had to like, don't break any laws, don't get into any trouble, mm-hmm. serve in the military. You had to get all these things, uh, all these restrictions and all these things that you needed to, to do in order to be able to get, uh, to get into the Dreamer Act. But the Dreamer Act was never passed into law. As right. many times that it was, they tried to, it never passed into law. So right. Obama decided to, uh, to, um, to come out with, with uh, DACA, which mm-hmm. is basically a portion of the Dreamer Act right. that allows uh, those immigrants that were brought into the country as children, that were born into the country and documented as children, mm-hmm. uh, to have a permit to be in the United States, to have a permit to work and to study and to get scholarships, but they had to apply every two years for the permit. Right. There is no path to citizenship. And as you know, the, um, the president right now has been trying to take that away from people. Uh, so the big news uh, was that uh, it was a big fight in, in the courts, whether he could do that or not. And he was decided that he cannot, right. at least for now. Uh, so at least for now, the DACA, those that have DACA are safe but they still have to apply every two years. And right. what they've been doing is that they've been increasing the fee 
So if like, I, I don't know exactly what the number is, but they have been increasing the fee, making mm -hmm. it difficult and difficult and more difficult for people right. to be able to apply. And then if you commit any minor crime, they throw you in jail and you're screwed. If you get right. out of the country, you're screwed. So you have to be, you have to walk a, a straight line, a super straight line mm -hmm. in order not to lose your benefits from that country. Thank you for that summary because I, I knew that, but I know a lot of other people didn't. And I will say that until about five or six years ago, I didn't know anything about the DREAM Act. I didn't know the people who were, who, in my, I'm going to say it like this, because when I worked, I thought of people as just, they didn't have a social security number. Um, and so people who didn't have a social security number, who came here from another country, um, that they couldn't stay here. Like I was oblivious, Nestor. And about six years ago, one day I came to work and I kid you not, about half of the, the workforce I worked in healthcare, um, was not at work. And I was like, where is everybody? And then somebody said to me um, that they could not, uh, or they were waiting, something was in hold, their, their application um, was in like a holding pattern. I was like, what are you even talking about right now? <laughs> they, they go, they live here, they've literally lived their entire lives. And, and the people who work come to work, they had lived, maybe they were 20, 25, and they had lived in the U.S. since they were two years old. So in my mind, I'm thinking they have to be considered citizens, you know, or pretty much citizens at this point. They've been here their whole lives. Why would that be threatened? And so then I had more conversations and started Googling. Googling was my best friend um, at that time um, and found out that folks had to pay a lot of money to lawyers. They had been, oh, yeah. been pulled back and forth with um, saying that there's something wrong with the application, so they get it kicked back. And meanwhile, folks are literally nervous about being sent back to another country that, that they don't consider a place that they've lived the majority of their life. And these are people that I work with every day, some of them that I consider good friends. And that's when I was like, oh my gosh, I feel horrible being a person that's in a, uh, a marginalized group, being African-American, being queer, and, and not even recognizing someone else who works next to me every day, having to live in that type of, under that much scrutiny every day. Like I think I go to work every day thinking about the world looking at me as a black person, as a queer person, but these folks next to me, working next to me every day, are worried about whether or not they're gonna be sent from their homes and be separated from their families. And so that was only five or six years, years ago. And I'm quite sure there are a lot of people like me today that were still in the dark. So I wanted to have you on. Thank you for that summary, I appreciate it. And I wanted to ask you a few questions about um, why you feel it's important for there to be a platform of the broad array of immigration stories. Well, first of all, because uh, there's a a lot of talks about a wall and how the wall is going to stop undocumented immigrants. Uh, and I'm saying it in the nicest way possible right. because I, I know, don't you know are. the you way that the president says it. So there's there's a lot of talks about a wall and how that's going to stop the criminals and the rapists. And uh, uh, you know, uh, when we have a criminal and a rapist in the White House, mm -hmm. um, yeah. So there's a lot of talk about that. And I wanted to let people know from the moment that our show started that immigration is not just people crossing over the border from Mexico. Immigration right. is people coming from all parts of the world, 
China. We had stories on our show from China, from Nigeria, from France, from Spain, from Asia, from Africa, from South America, from Central America. And many of those stories are from people who either had documents or people who didn't have documents. People that came here with a visa or that the visa expired and then they stay after the visa expired. Right. People that came here because they were uh, running away from a government that was trying to kill them either because, because of their political ideas or because of their sexual orientation. Right. And we tried to have as many uh, diverse stories on our show so people could understand this is not just about people coming from Mexico and crossing right. the border. Immigration comes from all over the world yeah. and for many different reasons. And we wanted to educate people on that. And we also wanted to let people know that immigrants, even when they're undocumented, they contribute to this country. Because a lot of people say, oh, immigrants don't even pay taxes. I was undocumented immigrant and I pay taxes every single year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we uh, undocumented immigrants file for, 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 for the taxes at the end of the year, just like any other citizen that the IRS wants your money. Right. They don't care if you have exactly. a social security or not. Social security yes. number or not. <laughs> yes. They give you a number that you could uh, that you could use instead of your social security number. So mm-hmm. you could get your tax so, so they could get the money from the taxes. That's yeah, what they right. want. They don't Let's care. say it right. Exactly. Yeah. As long as they have the money, they're fine. So undocumented immigrants do pay taxes. They don't get any services like uh um you know like like um, food stamps or any assistance from the, from the government. They might get assistance if the kids are born here, but the born the kids will be USA citizens. Mm-hmm. So they have the rights to get that assistance. And that's what a lot of people say, like, oh, I mean, I get a lot of this and that. Like, uh, no, the kids are getting it because the kids are USA citizens. Right, right. And, Thank and, you for that distinction. Yeah, because I do hear that people will say, well, they're getting, and I don't really know who the they is, okay? Yeah. They're getting all these resources and blah, blah, blah. So I'm happy that you explained that the children of an immigrant who were born here are considered U.S. citizens, just like other people who are born here. And so they are eligible for those resources. But then the parents would not be. It's on behalf of the child. Um, and so I would say that then they're probably not getting enough resources for the entire family to have their needs met. Yeah, and, there are, and there's a lot of undocumented immigrants that are even afraid to go and apply, especially nowadays, because they are afraid that, oh, I'm going to go apply for, 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 for something for my kid, and ICE is going to be there. Uh, yeah. or, or even there's, there's, a, um, there's sometimes where a crime is committed against an undocumented immigrant, and the undocumented immigrant doesn't want to call the police, doesn't want to go to court, because ICE might be there. Right. Uh, so when you start to mix everything with with immigration, then a lot of things may happen. A lot of abuses can happen. And a lot of um, people could lose a lot of the rights that they have if you start mixing all the stuff. Right. So for, um, I know a lot of people ask questions right now. A lot of people are asking, how can I be an ally for Black Lives Matter? How can I be an ally to the queer community? How can I be an ally for this person, that person? And for me personally, I have to be honest, I never thought about um, in terms of uh, kind of saying, how can I be an ally? I kind of felt like, well, if, if you see another human being who is not being treated fairly, then you step out and speak up. Um, and so I guess not everybody is compelled to do that because of different reasons. Some people may be so uncomfortable because they don't understand somebody who's different from them, um, that they may not feel comfortable or feel like they're stepping on somebody's toes. 
by speaking up on behalf of, by writing letters on behalf of people who weren't born here who are attempting to be United States citizens, um, and for instance. And so what would you say to somebody who is in that boat? Because I, I honestly believe there are a lot of people who are ignorant, meaning they don't they don't know or understand the concerns of immigrant people living in the U.S. and they may want to be involved and don't know how. For me, I feel like you just see an opportunity and you step up and you have conversations with people, but for others, it may not be that easy. And I'm trying to make sure that I acknowledge that everybody doesn't have that same personality um, and wherewithal to say, listen, just like I'm being treated unfairly, other people are as well. And the same thing that I would want for myself, other people would want for themselves and for their children. That to me is a, a just a humankind type of thing. Um, but what would you say to people? I, I, I honestly am an advocate for education, um, talking to people, asking questions. Google it tells you a lot of information nowadays. Um, and I would honestly say if people would, would listen to um, 80 Minutes Around the World, I really believe that people's experiences or thoughts about folks who were born in another country other than the U.S., I, it would broaden their ideas about the world. And also, you know, the story that we told on our show, we don't, we don't try to preach you something like, oh, you're stupid because you do, you're thinking this. Exactly, no, we're just telling exactly. you, I came to this country undocumented and this year because my parents were here and I had to be reunited with my parents. I'm just telling you my, what my experience was. You have every right, every choice to make your own, to create your own opinion based on what you hear from me, from my story. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to try to like, for something on your head. I'm just gonna tell you what I went through. Uh, um, my friend from 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 uh, from uh, from Nigeria is gonna tell you what his experience was. And my and my lady friend from China is gonna tell you what his experience, what her experience was. We all gonna tell you what experience. You could draw your own opinion based on what you hear. Uh, we just told you that way it was. So you could understand a little bit more about our experience. Um, and there's also a lot of organizations that Raices does a lot of work. Uh, mm -hmm. Raices, you go on, to, on Twitter or you go on Facebook and you look for Raices. They are always putting out information or even what is happening in the courts or what is happening on the streets with people. And they're always providing information and resources for people to understand about the immigration experience. Raices, Mi Gente, um, Maybe. Latino USA, which is another uh, uh, another uh, podcast on NPR, okay. gives you a lot of stories about about the immigration experience. Um, even uh, This American Life, which is another podcast on NPR, he, he, has, he has extremely extremely great stories about the immigrant yeah, experience. Lately. For sure, yeah. I'll so, write all of those things down and I'll, I'll put it in the uh, post when, when I post this one. So those are good resources for people to just hear other people's stories and recognize the thread of the human experience um, from the marginalized person's perspective, regardless of what that marginalized group is. And I think that's what will tug on people's hearts and may make people become more um, invested in making sure that the human experience within America is filled with equity and justice. Yeah, and we and we also it's a good a good thing to understand because a lot of people and I say this from my own experience a lot of people come to me even friends that I have within the storytelling community and they tell me like well yeah you're an immigrant and all of this happened to you but it was your choice to come here and I always feel like um, if your house is burning and you have to get out of your house it's not really a choice to get out of your house you have to get out of your house 
Latin American countries have been um, have been in a lot of trouble because of the intervention of the United States in the political, social, and economical life of our countries. Uh, the United States has actually there were many times where there was a president elect either in Guatemala or Chile or any other country and the USA Army was like, no, nope, we don't like the guy. And they took it away and they put somebody else to benefit this country, to benefit mm-hmm. the companies that are in our countries for the benefit of this country. Uh, and that's because of the white supremacy system yeah, that doesn't sure. care about people of color. And they just are looking for the benefit of the white supremacy system and the white people that are running the country. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, and a lot of people say like, okay, so well, you didn't stay over there and fought over there. There, were, there was a 30-year civil war in Guatemala. And there have been many wars in Nicaragua, in Chile, mm-hmm. in Argentina. People were being, in Argentina, the government of Argentina was actually grabbing people that were fighting against the government, taking them out, putting them on an airplane, and dropping them in the middle of the sea. Oh, my God. Yeah, disappearing people. You hear horrible stories of what happened all over Latin America. And that happened because of the intervention of the USA. So it's not a simple thing like, oh, you had a choice to come. Or why you didn't fight over there? Our, our, our countries, the, the, our countries, the ground of our countries is full of heroes that die trying to defend the countries. Uh, so it's not like people just like, oh, I'm just going to go to the United States. I don't feel like fighting for this. Right. People just didn't have a choice. Right. People feel like it was either black or die. So I, I, I try to, I try to um, explain that to people because, yes, a lot of people think, like, well, it was your choice to be here. And like I say earlier, when your house is on fire, you don't really have a choice to stay in right. the house and try to put a fire out. You had to get out of the house to put the right. fire out or you had to get out of the house in order to survive. Exactly. It's about survival. And I think for me, I feel like um, especially African-Americans, I think, should understand that whole idea of you need to survive. I mean, to me, this country is every who isn't an immigrant in this country. I mean, um, my ancestors were ripped from our land and brought here. And whether you consider that being an immigrant or you consider it whatever term you want to use and forced into slavery, the, the transcontinental slavery, um, chattel slavery, all of the above, um, and never, um, th- this system was never set up for us to rise to the top as um, African-Americans. And that same feeling, that same understanding of the history of other people who have come to this country is that thread. And that to me is that common ground that people can say, okay, I can start to understand this other human experience just from that basic standpoint of white supremacists, the the systems, the powers that be don't want either of us here. Mm-hmm. And so we can just stand together on that. And so this, this conversation for me is about trying to bridge the gap because I feel like too many African-Americans aren't invested in understanding and, and fighting with and for other marginalized groups such as um, those that have come here from other countries. And like you said, there's different reasons. And, and I like that analogy. If your house is on fire, that, what type of choice is that? You, yeah. Who wants to burn alive, yeah. really? Uh, and also a lot of people say like, well, there's not enough here for us. So why are we going to bring more people in if, if there's barely enough for, for, for the people already here? But then you look at the money that is spent on the military on a yearly basis. You think, and I have nothing against Israel. I have not, and 
you know, nothing against Israel, but we spend, we're sending billions of dollars on a yearly basis to Israel. If we don't have money to pay the African American community for reparations, why do we have billions of money to send to Israel? Mm-hmm. If this is, if, if the policy of the country is America first, so how come they're not investing in the African American community first? Right. right. And not even investing, just paying back what is owned to the African American community. Back. Ooh, that's a whole nother. Now you get into reparations mm-hmm. now. There's a whole nother well, yeah, discussion yeah. that burns everybody yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. Right, right. There's not, this, this society isn't set up for that. They will um, never, ever, ever um, give Africans living in America what they deserve. Well, we used to think that there was never going to be an African American president. So, okay, you're saying never say continues, never. The fight continues. I, you know, I, the fight continues. But I'm saying what we deserve is what I'm saying. Like, it, it, yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, because it has been accumulating through the years. The interest right. rate. If you if you think about the interest rate, it's like humongous. But the resources are here. The resources are here right. to do something about it. Like the government just decides not to do anything about it. Exactly. Because they exactly. know that whatever they do is not going to be enough. So they were like, oh, well, really, we can't do enough. So like, they don't not do anything. Which is why all of us marginalized peoples need to be fighting together. Yes. <laughs> yes. Like we talked about before, um, before we went on live, um, you were asking your employer to put a Black Lives Matter movement, like, you know, um, sign or something up and to really stand behind their statement of we're, you know, supporting justice and equity and all of that. And there was some uh, pushback or not necessarily the immediate response and you thought that should have been stated, right? And yeah, I think the, yeah, that there's many there's many companies out there like 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 Starbucks. You know, Starbucks they put a big sign like we right. we support and then people that were bringing they they like black matters teacher they were being fired and people were right. like ah hell no so when people right. got together and say like hell no then they're like okay okay yeah you're right uh taco bell did the same thing they fired somebody that, that, that was wearing a, a mask but say black Lives matters mm-hmm. if you're gonna put uh if you're gonna make a statement, statement saying that we support this that we understand then do it then do it right. but really really short is uh we can no longer be racist or no racist we can only be racist or anti-racist there's no mm. such thing as no racist anymore. Because hmm. if you're not racist, you just silence. Right. You are right, not right. proactive. You're actually helping the white supremacist right. system. Right. So you're either racist or anti-racist. Yeah, you, I like that. You yeah. can't you, sit back no and be quiet around anymore. Helping them. The middle helping ground them has been dissolved. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um well, I, I want to ask uh, just uh, one more question here. What what do you feel is something that, um, like for instance, like you and I met on the storytelling scene, or we share our life experiences, try to create platforms for other marginalized peoples to tell their story. Um, and I guess the question is, what do you feel that everybody in America should be doing right now in, in such a time as this to um, to help groups that are trying to fight for their civil rights, like everybody, like white, black, immigrant, citizen. What's one thing that you think everybody should be doing or could be doing? I wish that we could know more about each other. Um, you know, we've known each other for years, 
and I only been to your house once, and that was because you invited me to a storytelling event. Oh, and I right. was like, oh, this is so cool. I came to the South Side. And I've been to the South Side as a, as, a, as a Uber, as a Lyft driver. You know, there were times where I had a, I had a person in there, like, and they always ask you, like, do you ever drive over, like, like on the South Side? I'm like, hell yeah. People ask me, I'll go. Like, I, I don't have a problem. There are people in Chicago that believe that Chicago ends on, uh, um, it's either by Lake Street or by Roosevelt Street. They don't right, 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 right. go, go, go past, past that. So right. I wish that we could learn more about each other, that we could take time. I know that COVID-19 screwed up this plan, but I wish that we could have time to like actually get to know each other, you know, because I know a lot of people in the storytelling community, right. and uh, but I don't really know where they live. I don't know their right. lives. Their life, know their, their culture. Yeah, yeah, so I wish that once we get over the COVID-19, I wish that we could spend some time really getting to know each other. Because once we have this conversation, once we really get to know all the people, we can no longer see somebody as a subhuman. We can no longer see somebody as a criminal or as a dog or as an illegal. We right. can actually see each other as human beings. Exactly. That, that is a great note to leave on because if we could get to know each other on that basic human level, um, then we, we can't see each other as an other because you'll really see all the commonalities that you have. And those differences, you'll learn to appreciate them and you'll want to learn more about those differences. So thank you so much, Nestor. This has been a fantastic conversation and I hope we have more. I hope you'll come back and that we continue to support each other in the storytelling scene and off the storytelling scene. And maybe <laughs> after COVID-19, I can come to your place oh, yeah. and we can hang out and truly get to know each other better. So thank yes. you. Thank okay. you to everybody who was watching today and uh, check Nestor out. Um, his 80 Minutes Around the World Immigration Stories. You can check his, what's your website? NestorGomezStoryteller.com all right. And then I will drop in information on um, all of the websites and information that Nestor and I spoke about today. So everybody have a good evening. Thank you for watching. Thanks again for listening. This episode has been brought to you by Fit Life Give, a Black-owned, queer, and trans-friendly luxury mobile spa. Fit Life Give specializes in couples and individual massage, from corporate events to spa and pamper parties all across the Chicagoland area. Massage is a form of fitness and you need to have a fit-filled life in order to give to others. So book Fit Life Give for your next event or personal service. That's fitlifegive.biz.